Welcome to Long Shots. This is the story of two brothers from the Midwest with nothing to lose, who created a tech empire and all the valuable lessons we learned along the way. Episode 8, We Bet the Farm. November 2017. Over the previous few years, the internet was slowly evolving to become less of a novelty and more of a utility. People were starting to bank and pay their electric bills online. We saw that happening, and luckily when we first started the Chive, we wanted to bring our online audience offline. We did this by throwing Chive meetups. Every month we'd pick a new city, put all the Chive editors on a plane so we can go to a random city and personally meet, shake hands, and raise a glass with as many Chivers as possible. With all those glasses we were raising, my brother and I figured it might as well be our beer that we're all drinking, right? In late 2014, the Chive, in collaboration with Red Hook Brewery, released KCCO Black Lager, a German-style Schwartz beer. It had an opaque black color with hints of chocolate and coffee, but it was surprisingly light and sessionable. In less than a year, Resignation Brewery became the fastest beer to ever achieve national distribution in all 50 states. KCCO Black had 16,600 points of distribution, including 4,300 bars nationwide. We moved 252,000 case equivalents in one year against our goal of 100,000 cases, making Resignation Brewery the 82nd largest brewery in the United States. We also had no idea what we were doing. Our community was driving all the demand for the beer, and this was long before community-driven products like High Noon or Prime. From a pure advertising standpoint, there was no playbook for this in the beverage industry. We were just making it up as we went. One question we were constantly asking ourselves is, how are we going to advertise our beer in a new and unique way? Leo and I started focusing on those 4,300 bars where we already had distribution. How could we tell people in those bars specifically to order a KCCO beer? Traditional on-premise advertising hadn't evolved in decades. It was still tabletops, coasters, neon signs. That was it. Once again, Leo and I found ourselves back in a bar trying to figure it all out. On one of the TVs at Shiner's Saloon, Judge Judy was playing with subtitles. It was a Tuesday, and there were no games on. A beautiful girl wearing alligator boots walked up to the bar and asked for the Wi-Fi code, and Cupcake, the bartender, just gave it to her. That little transaction seems so commonplace now, but back in 2014, public Wi-Fi really wasn't a thing yet. As we looked around the bar, it occurred to us that there were no less than eight flat-screen TVs in the bar. So Wi-Fi in bars was becoming ubiquitous, and flat-screen TVs were being commoditized. They were no longer $1,000. You get flat-screen TV for like 200 bucks. So bars could afford more TVs to entertain their patrons. During this time, streaming television was just finding its sea legs. Netflix and Hulu were beginning to cut into cable's market share, but everybody knew streaming TV was the future. 
Then there was this little invention called the Roku stick. Earlier in the week, one of our developers had pointed out that these Roku sticks weren't locked down. In other words, you could completely wipe this Roku stick and put your own app on it. Not only were the devices not locked down, they were also really inexpensive. Two years prior, if you wanted to put your own content on a TV, you would have to order this huge black box that called up to Sputnik and cache the images, roll a truck to install the box, port it into the television, and it would cost like $2,000. A Roku stick was 49 bucks. But what kind of content would we put on the stick? The Chive was a photocentric website. I mean, photo galleries wouldn't work. Every company has to recognize its byproduct. We ran a photo blog, but we still received over 20,000 video submissions every month. But we just didn't know what to do with any of them. So there they sat, like a bunch of misfit toys, waiting for someone to play with them. We were starting to put it together. So if every bar had internet and multiple TVs, what if we bought a bunch of these Roku sticks, wiped them, and put all our videos on it instead? Think TikTok for bars, but with no audio and 10 years before TikTok existed. We called it Chive TV. To monetize it, we would run advertisements for KCCO Beer. But how could we get distribution? How could we scale it? The legendary investor Bill Gurley once asserted, when you're building a startup at scale, do tons of unscalable things. So focus on just doing a bunch of crazy shit now and learning from it, uh, and don't worry about whether or not the business is ever going to do it in the future. It's way more important to get the flywheel spinning than it is to have mass distribution immediately out of the gates. One of the best examples of this business tactic happened at a little company called Yelp. January 2005, San Francisco. Jeremy Stoppelman had created a startup focused on publishing crowdsourced reviews about businesses. He called it Yelp. There was one problem. He couldn't get anyone to review businesses on his platform, much less a crowd of reviews. He knew he had to get the flywheel spinning first, or the product would never scale. So he had a brilliant idea. He took all 24 of his employees, told them to stop working, to go out in the real world, and convince people to leave Yelp reviews for various businesses. Now there's no way his team was going to do that for every potential business on the Yelp platform. But that wasn't the point. Jeremy was just trying to get the thing to come alive where there's passionate participants that care about the quality of reviews. Get the fire burning bright. So when it does spread, it spreads from strength. The early efforts failed. Jeremy's employees turned street team would return about 5 p.m. every day defeated. They'd been to every bar, restaurant, and hair and nail salon in the mission, and they couldn't convince anybody to post a single review. Then Jeremy had a singular, brilliant idea. Make them stay out later. Send them to nightclubs, 
with Yelp t-shirts and pass them out to the crowd. There had to be a type of crowd out there somewhere who wanted to post reviews on this Yelp thingy. A year earlier, in 2003, a show about two socialites working low-paying jobs on farms and serving fast food premiered. It was called The Simple Life. Get ready to laugh, because the most anticipated new series of the season is next. Help me! Two hours late. We're wearing our work outfits. Good lord! It's the hilarious premiere of The Simple Life, coming up next on Fox. The show had catapulted Paris Hilton to international stardom, and the heiress loved nightclubs, especially nightclubs in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Paris Hilton transformed nightlife more than you and I will ever know, and everybody wanted to get close to the Paris Parade. Paris began popping up in nightclubs across San Francisco with various famous DJs and other celebrities. Without smartphones, how could you track their whereabouts so you could go rub elbows with all these luminaries? Jeremy suddenly witnessed hundreds of reviews pouring into Yelp. All of them were about nightclubs in San Francisco and where to find all the celebrities and DJs they worshipped. Yelp quickly spread to Los Angeles, then to Vegas, and then New York. That's right, the multi-billion dollar conglomerate that you know today as Yelp started as a nightclub app. Jeremy understood that getting the flywheel spinning and getting people to just use the platform was way more important than scaling. Jeremy understood the value of doing the legwork. Jeremy had pioneered a billion dollar tech company just by making his employees work late. As a CEO, let me tell you, that's the dream. When Leo and I heard that story, we realized that instead of thinking broadly about the 4,300 bars that carried KCCO beer, we decided instead to target just 50 locations in our own backyard of Austin, Texas. So just like Jeremy, we gave all of our employees 20 bucks to go get drunk. Kind of. We sent them all out to bars to personally convince the bartenders to just plug our Roku stick into one of their TVs and give Chive TV a free trial run. It was a Trojan horse. Between the curated galleries, we would run an ad for KCCO beer. An A-B test revealed that KCCO beer sales in venues that carried Chive TV spiked over 100%. Perhaps even more interesting was the seed state of the product was so strong that visitors to Austin saw Chive TV in the wild and orders for Chive TV began organically pouring in from all around the United States. The flywheel was starting to spin into a classic network effect for businesses. We couldn't wipe the Roku sticks fast enough to distribute them. Leo and I were taking turns going to Best Buy to purchase every Roku stick they had on their shelves. It felt like the good old days of the Bill Murray and Keep Calm t-shirts. The magic was back, and everyone wanted Chive TV. Now it was time to scale, but it wasn't going to be easy. How were we going to tell our employees about this shift to free ad-supported TV in digital out-of-home? If that sounds like a mouthful, it is. I mean, what does that even mean? 
To us, it meant that the future of the chive was not just on your mobile device anymore. It would be on a TV we hijacked from a bar? How are we going to get them excited about it? Also, who the hell was going to pay for all this? It didn't matter. We were going to bet the farm on Chive TV. Since the invention of the television, nobody had thought to invent a channel that would cater specifically to customers in an out-of-home setting. Who on earth did we think we were? I mean, it was audacious just to think that our small group of misfits could pull this off. We were entering the land of giants with nothing but a dream and a slingshot. But you couldn't ignore that 20% of all TV viewership was in a commercial venue and no one had bothered to look. Pulling it all off would require every dime of profitability from the chive for the next five years, plus almost every penny Leo and I had ever made to date. And it was going to be a million times harder than we even thought. We'd lose over 300 employees along the way who didn't believe in our vision. We no longer had nothing to lose. In fact, we had everything to lose. But we had everything to gain. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and give us a five-star rating. Go to thechive.com forward slash long shots to subscribe to our newsletter and see photos of all the events I talked about in the podcast today. Long Shots is hosted, executive produced, and written by me, John Resig, for Chive Media Group. Audio editing and sound design by Stephen Wilson. Tune in next week for episode nine of Long Shots. Happy Thanksgiving, Chivers! I wanted to let you all know that we started Black Friday early, so if you go to thechivery.com right now and put in my personal discount code, which is this should be free, everything on the website is 15% off. Just use my discount code, this should be free.